0: Welcome back friends. We are continuing in our study of 1st Corinthians. We find ourselves again today in 1st Corinthians chapter 3 as Paul addresses that very gifted uh, church in ancient Corinth. Uh, A gifted church but a church that uh, needs to grow. That needs to grow beyond its carnal nature. That needs to grow beyond um, where they first got into the faith. They need to grow in holiness, grow in fruitfulness, uh, grow in their witness and their ministry to Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing them this letter from Ephesus to the church at Corinth to help them grow, uh, to help them stay on track. So last week we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, Uh, I want to pick back up with verse 9 today and continue on through the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So with your Bibles in front of you, let's begin. Verse 9, Paul says, "...for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building." So Paul is continuing in his conversation how we are co-laborers with Christ. Uh, God is using us to do God's work in the world. God is using us to, to build the people of God in this world and to extend the influence of God's kingdom In this world, God has given us that great privilege to use us day by day, moment by moment, in doing His work in His world. And that's such a great privilege. And I hope that you feel that honor today as God is using you to do God's work in the world. And He says to those of us, He's talking to the church here, He says, You are God's field, you are God's building. So as god's fellow workers we want to make sure the field is tilled appropriately so that great fruitfulness comes from the field we want to make sure that god's building is built on a firm foundation Uh, which is Jesus Christ. He's going to get to that in a few moments. We want to make sure that the field produces fruit. We want to make sure that God's building is one of great quality and firmness and strength in this world. And he's using these metaphors. He's using these images uh, to talk about us. He's going to add another one in a few moments. He's going to add God's temple. So uh, agriculturally, we're God's field. Architecturally, we are God's building. Uh, Religiously, we are God's temple. The, the, The Bible likes to deal with us not just as individuals, but us as a people, as a group. In the Hebrew Bible, it was uh, the, the people of Israel. In the, in the Christian New Testament, it's, it's the new Israel. It's those of us who have been grafted on to the old Israel. We are the people of Jesus Christ, the church. So he uses these metaphors, these images, to teach us something about uh, the unity that's ours in Jesus Christ. We have great diversity, but we're united um, built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, he says, Paul says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. So you hear a reference to the word grace here, one of the most important words uh, in the Christian vocabulary, grace, charis. Uh, gifts of grace are mata, from which we get the English word charismatic. But grace is charis. Um, grace is an important word. It is, it is more than just forgiveness. It is more than just pardon. It is uh, all that God gives us of God's self. It is God's self imparted to us. Uh, and that brings all the gifts from God that we can enumerate. That's grace, is God's empowering presence in our lives, is God's empowering presence through the work of the Holy Spirit so that we truly can be God's fellow workers. That's what Paul's talking about when he references grace, such as he does here in, in verse 10, according to the grace, the power, the love, um, God's empowering presence in our life, the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Again, he's already spoken that foundation is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Teachings of Christ are important, but that's not the foundation. Jesus in His ethical teaching really brought nothing new that's not being taught somewhere else in first century Judaism. But it's the person of Christ, who we think He is, that is different and novel, new. And it is what He has accomplished, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and the giving of His Spirit to His people. Uh, That's the foundation. And he's saying, he, Paul's saying that he is the master builder. He's sticking with this architectural image for a little while. He's the master builder, and he's building, but he, he knows he's not building alone. He knows that he is also building with many of the other apostles, many of the other early Christians, many of the other people in the body of Christ that the Spirit has gifted. And that's why he says, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. Those are very important words. They're very important words to me that I need to be very, very careful how I do the work of ministry. We all need to be very, very careful how we do the work of ministry. We need to take heed how we build God's building, how we grow and nurture God's field, how we serve God's temple. Those are all images that Paul is going to use here in chapter 3. We need to pay attention. For me, it is a daily evaluation as to whether or not I'm doing what God is calling me to do in Christ. Or whether I'm um, being distracted by all the other voices in the world. Let each one take heed how he builds on it. We are all called to ministry. The word minister, as you notice here in the text, you heard it last week. Paul used it in verse 5. The word ministers or servants is not something that's just reserved for ordained clergy or for apostles. Uh, All of us are called to be ministers, servants in Christ. So I ask you, how is your ministry going? Are you taking heed of your ministry? Are you paying attention to? Close attention to following the one who has called you to your ministry. Verse 11, Paul goes on and says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, he's told you at least two times thus far that the foundation that we're laying is Jesus Christ, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people talk about Jesus. Jesus has a lot of fans in our world. Some people see Jesus as a great teacher, and the teaching that he brought, that he brings, is very significant. But again, there's nothing novel in the teaching, the ethical teaching of Jesus Christ that was not being taught by someone else in first century Judaism. Uh, Jesus was very much a first century Jew. And Christianity is a new way of being Jewish. Um, It is the person and work of Jesus Christ that differentiates the Christian community from the rest of the world. Um, The person who we think He is. True God of true God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. And the Word of God came and dwelt among us. Uh, Jesus Christ is the incarnation, the enfleshment of God here in this world. That's why his death is not just the death of another martyr. We've had a lot of martyrs in Christian history, but it's a death that can change the universe. Uh, he, He was God incarnate, giving of God's self to us. That's why he is a teacher, but he's much more than a teacher. He's a prophet, much more than a prophet. When you hear people talking about Jesus, you need to make sure you understand what all they mean by that. Uh, are they just talking about Jesus as a remarkable teacher who brought great wisdom uh, for the living of this life? Or are they also talking about the person and the work of jesus christ as the christian community talks about the person and work of jesus christ this this um, is particularly one place that we owe a lot to people like paul and john uh, the authors of the new testament who are helping us to understand who jesus christ is this is our foundation Uh, you can be a completely secular atheistic scholar who is into the study of first-century history that knows a lot about Jesus, the historical Jesus, but that still does not make you a confessing Christian. The foundation of Jesus Christ is made very clear by Paul when he uses a phrase such as he did earlier in uh, 1 Corinthians, I come among you and I preach nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Uh, that's a cipher for who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished. That's our foundation. He's talking about how the Christian community has to be built upon that foundation. There's a lot um, in church life that can be uh, relegated to opinion or to preferences or to ways of doing th- things or to be ways of how we worship or ways as to how we run our congregations. Um, and there can be some leeway in those things but something as essential as the person and work of Jesus Christ has to be held as essential verse 12 let's continue now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold silver precious stones wood hay straw notice how those how those elements differ uh, gold, silver, precious stones—that's one category. But he goes on to say, wood, hay, and straw. Each one's work will become clear. So, what he's saying here, and he's going to talk about this, is that we can build—we can build for the sake of Jesus Christ—but we can build in a way that is strong and enduring and eternal. In other words, we build with gold, silver, precious stones, or we can build in a way that's fleeting and temporal, that will not last and has no eternal significance. That's building with wood, hay, and straw. Uh, So he's talking about how we can do our work, but uh, we may not be doing our work in the way that God in Christ would have us to do our work, to make sure it's something that's enduring and eternal. Look at verse 13. He says, "...each one's work will become clear for the day." And in the translation in front of me, the word day here is capitalized. Uh, there, there's, there's no words capitalized in the Greek translations, it's either all small case or all large case. But in English, sometimes we capitalize certain words to give them significance and add emphasis. Here, the word day is capitalized. The day is that day, uh, the end of history, when God in Christ uh, consummates all of his kingdom's work. He says, On that day. Um, it will become clear for that day will declare uh, the nature of our work, because our nature it says here, continuing in verse thirteen, because it will be revealed by fire, our nature, the nature of our work uh, will be tested at the end, it will be tested, revealed by fire, fire is a symbol um, uh, in the in the scriptures for testing. Fire can purge, fire can test. So, our work one day will be um, brought under judgment by God, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Verse 14, he says, If anyone's work which is built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. What he's saying here is that we're all called to minister, all called to the work of ministry, we all called to build for the sake of Jesus Christ, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We want to make sure that our work is enduring and eternal. Uh, you could say work that is built, Using, using gold, silver, precious, precious stones, not work that is uh, fleeting and passing, work built of wood, hay, and straw. If it's work that's just built of wood, hay, and straw, it will be burned up. It will pass away. But if it's built with gold, silver, and precious stones, it will withstand the testing, it will endure, it will be eternal. There's a lot that we do in the life of the church that is work, is work for the sake of God, but it's just something built with wood, hay, and straw. It won't endure. It won't be eternal. Uh, Its significance will pass away. Um, Not bad, not bad work. Uh, it's, It's work that's just not as significant, as enduring, as it could be. You know, some of the things we do in the life of the church, I think, can just be put in the category of sheer busyness. I'm not sure it has really any eternal significance. Um, And, you know, being a busy church does not necessarily mean you're a fruitful church. Some of the busiest churches I know, and I've been part of them and I've led some of them, and I, I bear blame for this, Uh, We've been so busy and so frenetic, but we've been building um, something just out of wood, hay, and straw. One of um, the quotations that sort of impacts my life, I try to let it organize my life, but I forget it far too easily, is a quotation by Hudson Taylor, that famous missionary of the 19th century. He says, God's work done God's way Never lacks God's provision. Uh, We need to do God's work God's way. Uh, Then God will provide, will bless it, will cause it to endure, will cause it to uh, even have eternal significance. We can do God's work the world's way. We can pick up the paradigms and the programs and the strategies and the planning of uh, the world around us. and, And we can learn sometimes by by strategies that we see other people using. But we need to be very, very careful. We need to uh, take heed of how we're building and make sure that we're doing God's work God's way if we want to have eternal significance, if we want to have God to create something that um, um, is eternal. So again... Here in chapter 3, I find a lot that we in the Christian community can use to help us evaluate our, our ministry. We need to have ongoing moral examination, spiritual examination as to how we're living, how we're living individually, and how we're living as a community. I think right now in this strange season of a pandemic, I think in many ways the Christian community is uh, being given the gift of having a period when they can evaluate. They can examine what they've been doing, how they've been busy. Um, Some of that has fallen away because of the pandemic. And we need to be very, very, very careful as to what we start back. We want to make sure that we are found building uh, with gold, silver, and precious stones, not just wood, hay, and straw. Paul is saying here that in the in the end, at that day, um, some of the work will be burned away and will receive no reward. But the work that's eternal uh, will bring to us our wages or our reward. Paul is saying here that he himself... Will be saved. In other words, we won't lose our salvation. It's not about our salvation. It's not about whether or not we are going to um, achieve the gift of everlasting life through the merits of Christ, but it's about our rewards. It's about whether or not a part of our bliss on the other side will be an enjoyment of uh, the eternal nature of some of the work that we've done here on this earth. Um, Don't know what all that means. I just know that rewards um, in God's economy are different from the way we view rewards in our natural, secular, earthly economy. Uh, You know, maybe part of our rewards on the other side are the people that we will encounter on the other side who are there perhaps because of us, who are there and they will share with us how our Christian walk enriched their Christian walk. Um, I hope that we, we find out a lot on the other side that will validate the work that we did on this side. Um, so we need to evaluate. It's not an issue of our salvation. It's an issue of our rewards. You know, God has given us life. God has given us eternal life in Jesus Christ. Both of those are sheer gifts, but what we do with the life, the life that we now have in Jesus Christ, uh, out of gratitude, is is our gift to God. So I hope that we're building something great for God, uh, something with uh, uh, materials that will endure. Let's go on and finish up this section. At verse 16, he says, Do you do you not know that you are the temple of God? The word you here in the Greek is plural. If he was if if Paul was a Southern American, he'd say y'all at this point. He says, Do you not know that you all are the temple of God? In chapter six, he's going to talk about individuals. Uh, being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here he's talking about the church being the temple of the Holy Spirit. You all are the temple of God. That's who we are. We are God's temple here in this world. There's no longer a temple in Jerusalem. We now are God's temple. We are the place where God's Spirit resides. We are the dwelling place of God here in this world. We as the temple, we are the body of Christ, the very physical presence of Jesus in the world, doing the work of Jesus in the world. That's who we are as the people of Jesus. We are God's temple here in this world. And notice what he says here. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? That's what makes us a temple. Verse 17 if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. We should be a people of holy hearts, be a people of holy lives. We should never do anything to to bruise or to batter or disgrace or deface the temple of God. You know, I, I frequently pray... And I ask God, God never never out never let me outlive my love for you. I ask God to never let me do anything to bring disgrace to his people it It is a dangerous thing to to defile the temple of God, the people of God, to bring reproach on the people of God. Um, that's what he's saying here in verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. We need to be very careful about how our witness, how our lives reflect, reflects on the body of Christ. Verse 18, let's wrap up. He's going to return to his discussion of worldly wisdom. We've already talked about that a great deal in chapters 1 and so we don't need to say much about it here at the end of chapter 3. But he returns to this discussion of worldly wisdom. Wisdom is very important for the Greek world, such as those in Corinth. But he's saying we need to not operate out of the best of the wisdom of this world. We need to operate out of spiritual wisdom. Again, not carnal Christians, but Christians who are being led by the Spirit. Verse 18... Let no one deceive himself if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age. Let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, and here he quotes Job, because again the Bible of the New Testament church is what we call the Old Testament. He quotes Job, he says, "...for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness." And again, verse 20, again he quotes this time Psalm, what we call Psalm 94. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they're futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, Cephas is the Aramaic name for Peter, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. In Jesus Christ, we've been given everything that we need. In Jesus Christ, we've been given everything that is important and essential. And that's why we have to beware of arrogance. Uh, The people in Corinth, I think, were very proud people. And their arrogance caused them to be carnal Christians, caused them to uh, create divisions and dissensions within the body. Their arrogance. Uh, Particularly their pride in what they term their wisdom uh, calls them to live outside the will of God. We need to make sure that we're seeking the wisdom of the Spirit. We need to beware. Beware of listening too closely to the voices that's trying to persuade us of the wisdom of this age. Thank you for being with us again. Thank you for your commitment to serious, in-depth Bible study. Uh, Our next installment next week, we will pick up uh, at the beginning of chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. God bless you.